When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 304. We usually don't take enough time to pause and say, given who I am, given what my experiences are, given what roles I want to play in this lifetime, here's how I think I can uniquely contribute to a given effort. And if we just have that level setting expectation, I think it enables most of us around a team to grow faster and more effectively. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff, and this is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I started the podcast because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Through the podcast, I hope to help narrow this reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And today's guest first began inspiring me over a dozen years ago. We're going to be joined today by Tom Rath. You might know him from his StrengthsFinder work. His two new projects are Life's Great Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World, and It's Not About You, A Brief Guide to a Meaningful Life. We'll focus most of our attention on the first of those two works, Life's Great Question, and I plan to ask Tom to share about how to redesign the job you have into the job you want, what to put in place of follow your passion, why answering how you can best contribute versus what are your passions is really life's great question, and plenty more. In the book, Tom challenges us to rethink our life's work, and he argues that investing in your strengths, the foundation of his earlier work, is a great start, but it's not the whole story. The ultimate goal of development should be more about service and less about self. It's about answering the question, what can I give? To that end, life's great question and the accompanying Contribify website, which we'll talk more about in a moment, guide you in identifying what you can contribute to your family, your team, your organization, and your community. Tom Rath is an author and researcher who has spent the past two decades studying how work can improve human health and well-being. No, really. His 10 books have sold more than 10 million copies and made hundreds of appearances on global bestseller lists. Tom's first book, How Full Is Your Bucket?, was an instant number one New York Times bestseller and led to a series of books and activities for kids that are used in classrooms around the world. His book, StrengthsFinder 2.0, is Amazon's top-selling nonfiction book of all time. His other bestsellers include Strengths-Based Leadership, Well-Being, Eat, Move, Sleep, and Are You Fully Charged? Tom's latest works are Life's Great Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World, and It's Not About You, A Brief Guide to a Meaningful Life. Uh, in short, uh, he is here to help us understand what it takes to ensure that our time on this earth is uh, is well spent. My introduction to your work, Tom, uh, was about a dozen years ago, Strengths Finder 2.0, thanks to my then coworker Teresa White. And I did not envision this moment. I did not realize that someday <laughs> I would be sitting here with you having this this conversation. So for me, this is a real treat. Welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for your time and for asking me to join. 
Well, as I read the new book, Life's a Great Question, I, I was not aware of some of the, the health challenges that you faced when you, were, when you were a teenager. How did what you went through then, Tom, Im- impact how you've chosen to, to, to approach your life? Yeah, I appreciate your asking the question. I, uh, when I was 16 years old, I was having trouble seeing in one eye. It turned out to be several large tumors and was soon thereafter diagnosed with a, essentially a condition that shuts off one of the body's most powerful tumor-suppressing genes. And so not only did I lose an eye to that when I was 16, but I've been battling uh, cancer in my kidneys and pancreas and spine in the years since then and am today. And so that's from a very early age that really shaped a lot of my focus, in particular in two areas. One about, you know, just trying to learn as much as I could about all the things from a health and well-being standpoint I could do to keep myself alive a little bit longer and uh, live in good health and help others to do likewise. And then uh, in recent years, it's really focused a lot of my energy on how can I make sure that I'm contributing to the growth of people and efforts and thinking that can continue to grow in my absence. And so that's shaped a lot of the work that went into this specific book, Life's Great Question. Well, one of the most quoted ideas from one of my favorite books of Tom's, his work on strengths, relates to trying to be more of who you already are. Tom, though, says that he worries that that, that can feed into a, a self-focused mindset if, if taken out of context. Talk about why it's important, Tom, to direct those strengths outward. Yeah, you know, from what I've seen over the last 20 years of really studying how we can help people to be more effective and have more well-being through the work that they do, it strikes me that our natural talents, and it's a lot of what the Gallup work on strength started as, is uh, that's a great starting point, and it's one of the best starting points for personal development, for human development. But we really need to pretty soon thereafter, once we begin to uncover our natural talents, figure out how they can be aimed at what the world needs. And I think far too often we get focused inward on how can I be more of who I am, to that last quote you mentioned, and we don't spend enough time focusing on how our natural talents can meet very specific needs in our families, in our communities, in our organizations, and uh, broadly ensure that what we're doing each day is making a positive contribution to another person. How does your uh, recent work on It's Not About You uh, tie into this? Yeah, you know, that was a kind of a personal story and project that we worked on to help people begin to see the importance of focusing outward, even on a daily basis. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the quotes and ideas that focused my energy on this topic and has inspired me on a daily basis is what Dr. King said when he stated that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And, you know, that you see that quote go by every year or so on MLK Day, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I've tried to ask myself that exact question almost every single day for the last couple of years and see if I can use that to anchor and orient my daily tasks and efforts towards a little bit more of a proportional time dedicated to things that will continue to grow tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now. And what I've learned is that when you're able to spend even 30 minutes or an hour today focusing on things that can continue to pay dividends well into the future, Mm. it takes away a lot of the stress and worry that we have when our days are overly focused on pressing responsive tasks in the middle of a day or when our days are focused looking inward and worrying about our own condition. When you 
get to the point where most of your time is dedicated to helping other people, it actually alleviates some of the daily stressors that a lot of us wrestle with. Mm, Very wise. Well, back to life's great question for a moment. In the past, uh, whenever I've felt unfulfilled, Tom, in my job or career, and I think this is the case for most of us, my instinct was to look for greener pastures. How can we instead uh, redesign the job we have into the job that we that we want? Yeah, you know, I think that's an important caveat where when people are looking for fulfillment and bigger contributions in life, at times the path of least resistance from a thinking standpoint is to say, oh, I just need a whole new job. I need to start over. (laughs) Early on in people's careers, they're doing that, jumping job to job, I would argue, maybe too frequently. Mm. And what I've learned through a lot of the research that I've studied is that in most cases, we can make the job that we have into a job that we get a lot more satisfaction and well-being out of without having to jump to a whole new organization. And sometimes that entails just working within the way you structure and frame and focus your time in the job you have, whether Mm -hmm. that's changing time priorities, changing how you do a job to get to the same outcomes and goals that are important to the people you serve, or building more complementary relationships so that you can spend time on the things you're best at and others can as well, so that your whole team's contributing in ways that optimize your efforts and who you are. And then if that doesn't work out after quite a bit of effort, in some cases, it's different jobs or tasks within the organization you're already a part of today, if you believe in that organization's mission and purpose. And I would argue that only once you've exhausted those options, is it time to start asking questions about whether it's time to leave that organization or job that you're in? Because in many times, once you begin to ask that question, you've already cemented the fate and jobs can be beyond recovery once you start looking around really actively. I know in, in, in my past work life, I've had success, you know, going to my boss. And if I feel like, you know, I've grown stale, I guess, in my current position, uh, just making that known and, and asking how we can, can look at things a little differently so that I can continue to be challenged. And when I've done that, that's always worked in my, my favor. It's never come back to haunt me. So I definitely echo that advice. Um, All of us are familiar with the phrase, follow your passion. I've heard that uh, for decades. And we talked about self-focus a moment ago, and that's arguably about as self-focused as it gets, right? What what do you suggest, though, uh, we put in its place? Yeah, you know, I was really inspired by a a commencement address I found on YouTube by Ben Horowitz, the famous venture capitalist who's written a few real good books lately. Mm. And in that commencement address at Columbia University, he said that we should follow our greatest contributions instead of following our passions. Mm. And I think it's a small semantic change in the way we think about things. But when you anchor the objective or the goal around what serves other people, I think that's far more productive because we could all follow a passion we have for golfing or getting better at our chess game or whatever it might be. And in some cases, that doesn't serve a really valuable purpose that helps the world and that helps other people to grow. And I think if we try and challenge ourselves to anchor what we do from a career standpoint around the contribution it has, even for one other human being. If you're a teacher or a parent who focuses an incredible amount of your effort on the growth and development of one other person, I can't imagine a more powerful and meaningful mission. Mm. But it needs to be focused outward, I would argue, in order to be as meaningful and uh, generative as possible. 
Related to that, I and I think many listeners to this podcast consider ourselves personal development or, or, or self-improvement junkies, Tom. But, but you say that we've gotten self-improvement um, wrong. Uh, can, can you expound on that? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know that we have gotten self-improvement completely wrong, but we, but we have spent a lot of good time on it. I and mean, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been a huge product of that, and I've mm. not only invested in my own development, but I've written a lot of books about self-development and finding your strengths and increasing well-being and all these things. And I think that's all good and healthy. The challenge is, I would argue that we've kind of exhausted a lot of the avenues of growth in learning more about who we are, mm. especially from a personality standpoint. And we haven't spent enough time looking at what are the ways to best motivate our efforts so we can do more for others? Mm. What are the experiences that have really led to growth that we could capitalize on in the future to do more for the teams that depend on us? And I mean, one of the things I've worked on in particular with this Life's Great Question book and the Contribify website that's kind of a compendium application for people to apply what they've learned is that we need to sit down anytime we get a team of people together and at a minimum just go around and have a conversation about how each of us want to contribute and how we think we can optimally contribute to an effort. Because as we were talking about a little bit earlier, I don't I think most managers and leaders and organizations, they want us to contribute in a unique way, not to all take the exact same path to get to what the organization needs. But we usually don't take enough time to pause and say, given who I am, given what my experiences are, given what roles I want to play in this lifetime, here's how I think I can uniquely contribute to a given effort. And if we just have that level setting expectation, mm. I think it enables most of us around a team to grow faster and more effectively. Great advice for leaders, for sure. Uh, you mentioned the Contribify website. Share, if you would, Tom, a bit about some of the, the 12 uh, contributions that you write about. And, and I'm curious to know, are there working styles that don't mesh particularly well? Well, you know, what I was trying to figure out as I worked on this book, first of all, how can you give people who read the book something to go apply right away that mm. they can do for their own growth and contribution and something that they can do with teams to be more effective? And so what I did was I went back and asked the broad question of, well, what does the world need? Because we spend a lot of time looking at the person and not really at what the demand side of the equation is. <laughs> and so, the, I mean, the closest thing I could find was the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics has a database of all the jobs that people actually get paid to do in the world. So I looked through thousands of unique jobs and codes and categories and industries and said, is there any way to boil this down to what people do that makes a difference in society today? And got down to about 50 or 100 jobs that we have on the Contribify website if people are interested in checking out. And then from that, narrowed down to, okay, at a high level, what are the three things teams need to do in order to do something that contributes to society? And at a real functional level, you need to have a product or create something, a product or a service. So creating things is the first big bucket. The second bucket is you need to have relationships with other people because almost all of the growth in our society occurs in the context of a relationship. And the, the third thing is that team needs to continue to operate and be organized and scale and grow over time. So within those big buckets of create and relate and operate, there are kind of unique contributions I found. So I'll just give you a few quick examples. Mm. Within create, people need to initiate and get started and kind of challenge if they're doing the right things. Within relate, 
you need someone on a team who's in charge of energizing the team and making sure the team pulls together and really is pumped up to do what they need to do each day. And within Operate, you not only do you need people who are organizing and achieving individually, but you need people who are asking, how can we reach more people and scale over time? And so the, within each of those three broad areas, as you mentioned, there are 12 more specific contributions. And these are more situational things that I, I would argue, anytime you pull a group of people together, you need to make sure you're covering those bases in order to enable a team to grow optimally over time. So that's why I've designed the website that accompanies this Life's Great Question book so that anytime you start a new job, join a new team, you can go back in and essentially update this Contribify profile to say, given this unique mix of people you have pulled together, how can each person make a unique contribution? And it also asks readers as they're going through the initial portion of the inventory to say, what are the big roles you play in life? So for me, that's being a dad and a husband and a researcher and a writer. And how does that play into what you want to do and be known for? Um, What are the big life experiences? We call them miles or most influential life experiences experiences that shape who you are and what you do. And boy, I found if a group of three, four, five people gets together and they just talk about what have been some of the most searing life experiences that have shaped who they are, you really get to know one another quickly and can talk openly about why you want to do what you do. And then it gets into your strengths and how you describe that and each of those 12 contributions we were talking about. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, at least this was the case for me, part of the feedback is the three areas that you're probably most capable of contributing in. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really the three areas we ask people how they want to contribute to a given team. So that may vary from team to team or over the span of a couple of years as you change what you're doing with your career. And the website takes people through an exercise where they go through uh, 40 or 50 questions. It takes about 20 minutes. And at the end, they get kind of a baseball card or a Mm. more personal version of a resume about here's who I am and where you want to best contribute to a given team effort. And one of my big hopes over time is that we can continue to refine that for people so that it becomes a much better conversational starting point than a typical resume or LinkedIn profile, which couldn't be much more sterile and impersonal if you tried to script it when I went back and looked at that. It opened my eyes to the fact that that my areas tend to lean heavily into the create. I had two there, initiating and teaching, and then in the relate area, influencing, but nothing in the operate area. So I need to surround myself, I guess, with people who who compliment me in that regard. Yeah, and I think that's a good, if, if people kind of go around and say, how do you make sure you're talking about how your efforts can complement the people you work with most frequently on a daily basis. That's the that's the big takeaway for me is that, you know, I mean, even I'm guilty of this all the time where I bring together new teams and join an existing team and it takes three to six months before we all have to step back and realize we were running in the same direction with all the best intentions, but not really complementing one another's efforts in terms of how we want to make a difference. Mm. Well, Tom, after all you've learned, how would you say or assess it's impacted how you interact in your personal life with, say, your wife and your children at home? Yeah, you know, the big realization for me is I kind of started to deconstruct the contribution that I hope to make over time is that even 30 minutes spent with my uh, daughter uh, working on some new writing she's doing or 30 minutes spent with my son helping him to grasp a new concept he's learning about in one of his science or social studies classes. That's probably a more 
powerful and meaningful and lasting use of 30 minutes <laughs> than trying to close out the day by getting to inbox zero at 430. Mm. And it said the same thing. It's, it's Dr. King's question that I mentioned about what are you doing for others? When I ask myself that question early in the morning or when I'm driving to work, that helps me to prioritize a piece of work, whether that's an article or an interview or a meeting, over some of the more responsive-oriented tasks that I know can wait. And to ensure that in order to have a good day, I've spent at least, ideally, 60 minutes during the day contributing to efforts that can continue to have exponential growth. A lot of it is, I mean, it's kind of like what you hear from investment advisors, where if you, if you can put away some capital right now into an effort that can continue to grow and pay dividends when you're not actively tilling the soil a week or two from now, boy, that that I think that can help a lot more people to experience growth over time. Well, I've got a couple of questions in a moment, Tom, I want to ask you in the time we have left that aren't directly related to, to the two works we're focused on today. But before I do that, is there anything else you want to make sure we know about life's great question or the it's not about you project? No, you know, I think we've touched on most of it, and I'd, I'd encourage people to uh, just check out that website and see if they can build a profile of who they are and how they can best contribute that they're proud of over the next few years. If I'm not mistaken, It's Not About You is available in ebook form and audio book only. Is that correct? Uh, the it's Not About You is a short kind of personal narrative story that is available for all Amazon Prime members on digital and audio only. Gotcha. The main business nonfiction book Life's Great Question that includes the codes for the Contribify website I mentioned, that will be available in all formats uh, and available everywhere. Well, I want to ask you about the books that have impacted you over the years, Tom. What have you read either recently or if you want to go back further the course of your career that's impacted you and share if you can maybe how or why they impacted you as, as they did? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think over like broad strokes over time. Mm. I was uh, just thinking about and reading some notes from a book that uh, Todd Henry wrote called mm. Die Empty. Um, it was about kind of getting your best work out. And that, that was pretty inspirational for me from that standpoint. Uh, more recently, what had been on my mind over the summer I read, uh, I'd call it a paired trade, where I read uh, the Just Mercy book that's getting a lot of attention right now for some perspective. And then I read uh, Hillbilly Elegy right after that. Mm. Um, and just that helped me to see a very divergent and different set of human circumstances and learning about how people grow up and how and why they do what they do and really got me into a lot more nonfiction uh, biographies over the last few years and trying to understand what's driven people and led them to be who they are over time. So th I think those were a couple of fascinating and influential books that are more recent. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly love uh, Todd's work as well. He's He's been on the show, I think, no less than three times, I think, to, to talk about Die Empty and Hurting Tigers and uh, the book that came in between those two, the, the name of which escapes me now. But yeah, I love Todd. Um, you certainly do your fair share of keynote speaking uh, and, and have for, for a while. As a successful speaker, I'd be curious to know, Tom, what are some of your tips for delivering a talk that uh, that impacts the audience, that leaves them uh, changed? Well, that's a good question. You know, the one of the first things I learned, it's been well, almost 20 years now since I was just kind of thrown into the fire of having to do public speaking when <laughs> How Full Is Your Bucket was released and I was young and had no clue what I was doing, just had to dive into it mm. and wasn't very comfortable at all. But what I did learn is to this day, I think the first thing I remind myself is just to be as natural and try and be as close to who I authentically am as possible 
and not worry about all of the conditions and circumstances because when I feel like I'm being authentic, I think the rest flows from there and I've learned to kind of manage around the margins. And, you know, the the really tactical thing I've learned by sitting in the back corner of rooms and observing speakers I admire, which I still do, every time I get a chance, I go to a conference a little early and sit in the back and watch Mm -hmm. other keynotes. I've learned a lot about being comfortable with dead space and quiet, where, Mm -hmm. boy, it's hard to do. And it's still kind of like lifting weights or whatever. You have to build (laughs) up repetitions. But if you can make a point and pause for 10 or 20 seconds and walk halfway across a stage without feeling the need to fill that dead space. It's it's a hard thing to do, but it really, I think, allows a good idea to soak in for people who are listening. I love that advice. It's something that, that I have learned the last couple of years is truly powerful. It goes against uh, everything within me, having come from radio <laughs> and, and, and being fearful of dead air. <laughs> but, uh, Absolutely. But, I've, but I'm working to, to get better at that. I've seen the, the power of what you just described in person, and it, it is truly amazing when, it, when it's done well. Well, uh, the, these projects that you've just completed, obviously you're going to be promoting those for the foreseeable future. I'd be curious to know as you look ahead out to the rest of the year, are there things you can talk about that you're working on? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Um, the One of the things I'm most excited about over the next decade is trying to build better systems so that we can effectively align people with what society needs from a work standpoint. Right now, Mm. there's just this huge chasm in between who we are as individuals and what the work world needs. And the way that we're matched up with those jobs is so inefficient. And so I think there's a huge kind of arbitrage opportunity in there in bringing people together with the right work. And the Life's Great Question book and the Contribify website is kind of an individually driven way to say to the person, how can you begin to point your efforts and who you are at some of these needs that are out there? But my hope is that that's kind of a beta version or a 1.0 and that we can continue to build much better systems so that uh, when my kids are 11 and uh, almost 11 and 9 right now, and By the time they enter the work world, I hope we have far better systems of both artificial and human intelligence that help them to have a much better statistical chance of winding up in a job where they experience growth and success and satisfaction far earlier in their career versus that taking 10, 20 years, which it might on average right now. Well, as, as Tom said, you can create your uh, Contribify profile online. Contribify.com is the website. We'll link to that in the show notes as well as everywhere else you can find uh, Tom online. There are two codes when you purchase the hardcover of the book, one for you and one for a friend to uh, go through that assessment. So I encourage you to pick up the book, get access to those codes and create your own Contribify profile. You'll be glad you did. I know I am. The book, again, is called Life's Great Question. Discover how you contribute to the world. And also, it's not about you, a brief guide to a meaningful life. Tom, it was a treat. Thank you so much for being a part of Read to Lead. Thanks so much. It was a wonderful conversation. The place to find all those resources, including the Contribify website, links to Tom's works and the books he recommended, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 304 for episode 304. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash and then the numbers 304. Other books and authors being featured soon here on the podcast include a book called 
cracking complexity, the breakthrough formula for solving just about anything fast by David Benjamin and David Kamlos. Also, eat, sleep, work, repeat. 30 hacks for bringing joy to your job by Bruce Daisley. And we'll welcome back to the show a recent guest, Celeste Headley, and dive into her new book, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. All those and more coming your way over the next few weeks. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, or feedback for me and the podcast, feel free to send me an email, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you and we'll make every effort to respond to your email within a couple of days. Well, that does it for this week. I hope your 2020 is off to a great start. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 